I don't want to be the killer of Christmas joy, just the postponer of it. So uh, carry on the conversations afterwards for definite. Can I have a quick show of hands to the hard-working individuals who slaved away making gingerbread houses earlier? Were any, any of you here? Anyone who made a gingerbread house? A few of you, fantastic. <laughs> hang on, hang on. We haven't done the awards yet. We can't just give them a round of applause. All I was going to say is, our architect who designs this incredible space is in the room. If you want a job, go over and see Alex at the end with your uh, gingerbread house still standing, and who knows? If you've already eaten it, tough luck. Well, I just want to say welcome. Thank you for joining us this Christmas. It's always a joy. Um, and just briefly, I want to really pick up on three things before we carry on with a few more carols. First, I want to convince you to do something you were already planning to do, which is celebrate Christmas. Secondly, I would like to comfort those to whom that feels like an impossibility this year. And then finally, I'd like to connect us all together for eternity. Simple? Simple enough? Okay. So first of all, I just want to encourage you to celebrate Christmas this year. This is a room of adults and children, most adults, and it's, I think it's only the adults, most of you are listening to me. But question, who is it that ruins Christmas? According to the children's movies and the stories, it's adults that ruin Christmas because of our lack of imagination. We've lost our imaginations. And I agree with this uh, old writer, G.K. Chesterton. He says that actually the loss of imagination is a sign of madness. I'll tell you why. Because the child who uses their imagination, they know their place in the world. They take their small brain, they enter into amazing situations and they let it explode. There is a big world out there that you know a little bit about, but you get to explore with your imagination. But for the adult who has lost the imagination and tries to understand everything, we try to fit the whole world into our heads and into our brains. I'll give you an example. When you say Christmas to a child, the world opens up, doesn't it? The world of possibilities. Everything is possible when you mention Christmas. Mention Christmas to a responsible adult and they get a headache because suddenly everything, all of the details of Christmas are crammed into their heads and they strain to think how this could possibly be an enjoyable experience. And I think that's because of two things. It's the question that we ask that puts us in the wrong place. See, adults, the reason we've lost our imagination and some of the Christmas spirit is because we've seen behind the curtain of Christmas. The children think that that roast dinner just appears on the table and they think that the tree decorates itself and that all of these things just magically appear. We, tragic individuals, have seen behind the curtain and seen the inner workings of Christmas. And that is really the question. The children, the questions are what and when. What's in it and when can I have it? What are we having for dinner and when is it going to be ready? 
What's Santa going to bring me and when is he going to come? For us, how on earth am I going to make it possible? How is the question? How much is this going to cost? How are we going to fit everyone around our table? How are we going to cook for all of the fussy relatives? It's the how that takes over from the what and the when. But I want to invite you into another question that actually will open up Christmas for you like never before. Because behind the curtain are the inner workings of Christmas. I understand that. We need to think about the practicalities. But behind the stage is another door. And this door is the door of wonder. And on that door is the question, why? Why do we have any of this in the first place? Why are we here? And you may think I'm going to get onto the typical thing of what's the reason for the season. And yeah, fair enough. This is Jesus' birthday. We're celebrating it. We've, we're sort of gate crashes in his event. But actually, I want to take it maybe a slightly more simple, not the reason for the season, the reason for the seasoning. I want to ask you this question. Why does food taste so good? Why, when you walk outside and see the lights, does it look so good? Why, when you gather together in this way, does the magical feels of Christmas feel so good? Why is that? What is behind all of that? This year, I would love you to take a mince pie and see behind the wonders of the mince pie a smiling face of a creator God. A God who wants you to enjoy that mince pie. Now, in this church, we do have people from all around the world, and I have, on many occasions, have to explain a mince pie. It isn't a savory thing. It isn't full of meat. I don't have a clue what's inside it. But the flavors are incredible. It evokes such emotion. It is a wonderful thing. And I want to ask you the question, well, why? Take the step back for a second with me. Why is there stuff to enjoy in this world? I want to suggest to you it's because behind all of the good things is a good God. Now, I understand at this point you may say that is far too much of a stretch of the imagination to believe in a God at all. Fair enough. But I think it's even more a stretch of the imagination to believe that behind all of this are atoms and molecules, biochemicals, all bumping together according to processes that don't care about us in the slightest, and yet we're all meant to feel the Christmas spirit. That, to me, is far more of a stretch of the imagination. And just for today, let's go with Jesus on this one and see where his imagination takes us. Because it's his birthday anyway. So <laughs> we, we did have a funny moment earlier. Someone in here, Gus, our bass player, is wearing happy birthday, birthday boy on his. <laughs> and someone asked, oh, Gus, happy birthday. <laughs> uh, naming no names. Um, But here's, here's what I'd love you to see. 
is behind all of the good moments of this Christmas is a good and loving God who wants you to enjoy those. And I'm just going to show you why that's the case. The opening pages of the Bible, this book that Christians and Jews read, at the very beginning, the creation of the whole world, when God, who is eternal, decides to bring something into being, the description of all these things at the end is that they are good, 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 and very good. Now, this is the Milky Ways and the Crimson Sunsets. It's the mountain peaks and the flowing rivers. It's the dancing birds and the flying fish. It's the dripping honey and the sweet smell of a cinnamon stick on a Christmas tree. All of it good. And if you're wondering what kind of good is that, what are we talking about? Because for me, I use the word good to mean bad. When I, when I got home from school as a kid, my mum would ask me, how was school? And I would say, yeah, it was good. And that was my effort to get her off my shoulders. Is that going on here? No. I, I can't give you a better illustration than this gentleman of what good means. It was like five guys, burgers and fries was reading my mind. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. I noticed, Amanda, you weren't signing for that one. <laughs> now, if the cynical people in the room think that the entire reason I wrote a talk like this was so I had an excuse to get five guys earlier, it was very good and well worth it. I want to keep going with this, just to convince you that this is the story. This is the God. There is a good God who created the raw materials that we human beings, who do you know, at the very beginning of the Bible, the first thing he tells humans to do is, hey, this is all yours, go and eat it. And then at the end of the Bible, he says, come and drink. God is preoccupied with these things. It isn't purely a material meaning. There is... A, the, the whole point is we get to enjoy these good things in order to discover more about God himself. But he does want us to thoroughly see the good things for what they are. I'm just going to read a few bits throughout the Bible. It's like a breadcrumb trail throughout the Bible. In one place it says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil." This is the gift of God. You know that feeling? You've been slaving away all day making that roast dinner, but the joy that you feel when people eat it and say thank you and enjoy it together, that's meant to happen. That feeling inside of you is intended from a good God. He makes the grass grow for the cattle, plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. Wine that gladdens human hearts. Our mulled wine is bubbling at the moment out the back. Oil to make their faces shine. Think of a child's face shining as they open something as a gift to show how much someone loves them. And bread that sustains their hearts. 
God, it says, satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. God gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Your breakfast in the morning is attached to God's love enduring forever towards you. Listen, listen to me, God says, and eat what is good. You will delight in the richest of fare. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. I would love you to see this Christmas but that behind every good gift, every good moment, every moment of just a spark of joy, every time the family cheer is there, every good thing are the good intentions of a good God who created you and loves you. And as best as you can, enter into those moments. Don't close the door on those. Use your imagination and explore. And actually, the Christian tradition of just giving thanks at a dinner time or a moment when everyone's gathered together is a powerful way of opening the door on the question, why? Why do I get to experience all of this wonder and joy? Giving thanks for that is an amazing thing. You may not usually go to church, you may not ever pray. Why not just try, even under your breath if it feels weird amongst others, just giving thanks this year. Thanks to something out there that has good intentions to you. But then I do want to speak to those for whom this is a real uphill battle to feel the Christmas cheer, to join in, because I recognize this time of year for some is actually the hardest time of year. It brings up the rawest emotions. It compounds all sorts of feelings about yourself or about the world. It might be that you just lack, you don't have enough to seemingly enjoy, you don't have people to celebrate with. It may be that this time of year is really hard for you and I am not going to tell you to just put a smile on. I'm not going to try and tell you that you just need to get on the Christmas spirit no matter what, because actually the Christmas story is counterintuitive to all of that. See, thought experiment. If you had all of the resources and power of heaven, and you could choose to go and live anywhere and have any lifestyle at all for free, where would you choose to go? Which part of the world would you choose to live in? What would you choose to eat every day? Where would you spend your time? You've got that thing in your mind? Now, I imagine it is different to the choice that the Son of God made when he decided to come to this world. He chose to come to a place called Nazareth, the back end of nowhere in Israel-Palestine, and he decided to join, enter into a family that had no position in the world at all, that had no wealth. The closest he would come to the earth's luxuries would be looking through the window of a neighbor. We know that his family didn't have much wealth at all because when they took a sacrifice to the temple, they took a pigeon. The pigeon was the freebie of the sacrificial world. All the other animals, you had to either rear them or buy them. You could catch a pigeon for free. His family didn't have much, and he grew up in that environment. And he seems to have been the most joyful man 
who's ever lived. But I want to actually switch your gaze, not to, oh, I need to be like Jesus this year, but actually let's look at the kinds of people that he then spent his time with. For me, these are the Scrooges and the Grinches of this world. And I'm so grateful because I am one of the Scrooges and the Grinches of this world. I find it extremely hard to enter into some of the Christmas spirit. I've experienced depression on Christmas Day uh, for some years. I can find it extremely difficult, and I really dislike, personally, the Grinch movies and the Christmas Carol, because the story is, society will accept you when you change your attitude. When you suddenly get into the Christmas spirit, when you turn around, when you, when you sort out your head, then we will accept you around the dinner table. Then you can come in, then you can party with everyone. That wasn't the Christmas story. Jesus went to sinners and the outcasts and those that the world looked out, uh, down on and he ate with them. It says later on in the Bible that Jesus died for his enemies. Those who literally hated his guts and wanted him gone, he died for them. They didn't need to sort their, sort their attitude out. They didn't need to change their personality before they were accepted to his table. And for me, that is the greatest news that a God who would send his son to live in a very deprived part of the world would accept me a grump and a Grinch and a Scrooge. That for me is very good news this Christmas that I am welcome round that same table as those who absolutely love the entire thing and are full of joy. Because the thing is, as you get to know this good God and he welcomes you into his table, he will start to change you and your attitudes will start to change and develop and you will start to see through that door even more and you will discover the goodness of God behind these things. But it takes time. But I would like to encourage you because I feel like there are many who would listen to something like this and say, it's really not for me. I think Jesus sits around the table. Those who are just partying and having the greatest time, he would say, look, it gets even better. And to those, sorry, I've split the room in half, to the, gr <laughs> to the miserable crowd, he would say, it's not always like this. He knows that we live in a broken world, but that is exactly why he came. I just want to look at the prayer of his mother, Mary, briefly with you. She says this when she finds out about all that's going to happen. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he took notice of his lowly servant girl. That's her. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He's scattered the proud and haughty ones. He's brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. 
Mary's prayer gives us an incredible picture. It's a, this is a poor illustration, but when we drive down to my mum's house, it's a two-hour drive down to the coast. So the presents that we've already wrapped naturally will become, the wrapping at least, will be scuffed, slightly ripped, more crumpled than they were when we made it. But that's not a massive issue, is it? Because once we're down there, we can position them under the tree. It looks nice for a while, but really that wrapping paper is going to be taken off and the thing that you want to focus on is on the inside. Mary was reflecting, I think, on that. That in her frail body, that was probably achy, strainy, a body that naturally fades, was growing someone who would begin a new world. And Jesus would create a new world that turns this world upside down. And he has done that century after century after century. He has done the most remarkable things across nations, but also in people's lives. He's done it to me and many people here. And this is the wonder of the Christmas message, is that within the frail wrapping, within the perishing and the weak, emerges something powerful enough to change the world. And that is Jesus. To all who are welcome at his table, he invites them in and he shares that with them. And this doesn't just perish like your Christmas tree will. This goes on forever. This is the eternal life that he invites people into. It's not some airy fairy thing in heaven. It is as concrete as when Jesus rose from the dead 30 years later. You can look into that if you like. I would just like to invite you to use a concrete imagination this Christmas. As concrete and as real as Jesus rising from the dead, and then as vast as your imagination will allow you to go. Because the Bible says, no eye has seen or ear has heard the wonders that God is going to do. No one, God does far more than you could possibly imagine in a person's life. All of that can be yours. It's an amazing reality. And it begins just by giving thanks. That's all it is. It is just giving thanks to God who's done that for you. So why don't we sing a few more carols? And then why don't we celebrate a bit more later? So why don't we stand? I'll say a quick prayer. And I'd love to invite you, not trying to convert anyone, I'm trying to convert your imagination. Why not try, under your breath, saying a prayer of thanks? Thanks for good things this year. Thanks for even tonight, if you are lacking a bit of imagination. Let's try giving thanks. Father of lights. Father who is good, the Father who sent his Son into this world to save someone like me and all of us, we say thank you. We thank you for the big things and the small things. We thank you for the mince pies, the mulled wine. We thank you for one another. We thank you for smiles on faces. We thank you for great carols. We thank you for music. We thank you for the warmth of company. We thank you for your Holy Spirit and what he does in our lives. We thank you for Jesus and all that he's doing in and through 
us and this world, we just say thank you. And Lord, for those who are maybe saying thank you for the first time, let it be a moment that they remember forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.